Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Like one of the people involved apparently is Odell Beckham Jr. You know, he changed some of the stuff in his contract so that he gets paid off in... In crypto? Or Bitcoin. I don't know. Like, as you know, I don't know the difference between Bitcoin and crypto or anything like that. Here's what I know. I know I wrote a note to Matt Helfrich last night. And the note said, we're not in this crypto crap, are we? (laughs) And he assured me, no, we were not. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. So to that point, I have a note from Brian Adams, who is a professor at the University of Portland, a professor of finance and the associate dean of graduate programs at the Pamplin School of Business. And the letter or the email this is entitled Crypto Rum Dumb. <laughs> yep. There it is. And he says, first time, very long time. I've been listening to your show for the past two decades. Cannot overstate how many times your show has helped me get through some very tough times. After listening to this podcast, I thought now's the time I can offer something of value. The main course I teach at the University of Portland is on financial markets and institutions. So I can supply you with some helpful facts regarding cryptocurrencies. And he lists in bullet points about 15 things. The one thing that that stood out to me is the other issue that reduces the attractiveness of digital currencies for transactional purposes, and that would be cryptocurrencies or things like that, or cannot pay your taxes with them. Of course, because nobody's going to accept this nonsense. Oh, I have wampum beads. Oh, I have blueberries. Can I pay these in blueberries? Tulips, maybe? Their value is too volatile, you know, e.g. tulips. And they are deflationary. Reduced motivation to spend digital currency since their value could increase. So I will go over this and go over this, and I still will not understand it, but I'm grateful to Brian Adams for that. And I am grateful for more than that because he writes, if you ever make it out to the Pacific Northwest for Pino and Bandon Dunes, then our golf club, Rock Creek Country Club, would like to host Michael and you to a round as you roll through Portland. Isn't that nice? So that's I have some very special nice memories at a different Rock Creek. Different Rock Creek. <laughs> Try the seven iron, Michael. <clears throat> from Stephen, Stephen, who upbraided me the other day because I got everything wrong about the Bad Out of Hell album, and I conceded that I had made a mistake. Stephen writes... Just heard this email read on the podcast and need to offer a correction to my own typo. Max Weinberg was, of course, on drums on the album, not on bass. When you wrote he was on bass and you knew more than I did, I assumed he was on bass and assumed, like most musicians, he can play nine things. Sure. You know, that's what I thought. I'm not sure how I wrote bass rather than drums, but seeing as how Tony read this as a harsher dressing down than I intended, I thought I should correct my own error, mea culpa, and so thank you for that. And I got this from Caitlin Thompson. Who writes, I hope this note finds you all well, and please forgive the cold outreach. I'm Caitlin Thompson, one half of Racket, a tennis media company and print magazine. I'm reaching out on behalf of a forthcoming production about 1970s world team tennis. The film we're working on is directed by Mickey Duzich, who has nabbed a few Emmy nominations and created one of my favorite sports doc series of all time for Netflix, Losers. Billie Jean King and Alana Klaus are serving as executive producers, and it's all backed by the Oscar-winning studio A24, which means it will reach far beyond the tennis ecosystem and into the larger cultural conversation. The film will tell the largely unknown story of the early years of world team tennis. Weaving together present-day interviews, archival footage, and animation, we hope to unravel the vibrant and fun history of an experimental league with a focus on equality, inclusivity, and accessibility that was decades ahead of its time. I would love to schedule an initial phone call with you to hear about your experience with the league and your larger ideas about its cultural impact, especially given your award-winning coverage. We're still very much in the early stages of the project, and any stories, anecdotes, or thoughts that you'd be willing to share would be incredibly helpful to us in our research. 
Let me know if we might be able to get a call on the calendar in the coming week. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing from you. Very nice. No, the answer is no, because I don't remember anything. <laughs> I don't remember anything. Yeah. I remember the names. They were the Boston Lobsters. Oh, okay. The Philadelphia Freedom. I know the Elton John song. Right. I remember Billie Jean very well. I remember for Newsday covering it. It had different colors on the courts. But in terms of cultural impact, I was too young and too dumb to have any sense of cultural impact. And it's 50 years later. So I, I feel utterly unqualified to speak to this. And I would appall you with how stupid I am. <laughs> and plus, you know... Plus, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't talk to anybody, <laughs> well, you know, because yet. I don't, you know, I don't talk to anybody. Um, and Chris is on the phone, Chris Eliza, and Chris will understand this because Chris does this for a living. I don't talk to anybody that's taping my conversation and has the ability to edit my conversation. I don't do that. I learned this lesson at the University of Maryland when in a tribute to George Solomon, the University of Maryland journalism school went out of its way to try and get Wilbon and I to talk. And we agreed to do it. And they cut and pasted our words. And it was utterly unsatisfying and angering, and I learned that lesson. You know, I can talk here, and this is what I'm saying, and nobody's editing it. Right, Chris? You know how this uh, works? Yes. Well, two things. One, this is probably a good time for me to tell you I get my salary in Bitcoin. And two, <laughs> um, yes, I'm, I'm very leery of – I, I don't, don't do say – anything in public or really in private now because everybody has a phone that I don't that I would not be comfortable being broadcast somewhere yeah, because sorry. everyone is taping everything at all times at you know it's so easy with your phone so I'm not having any conversations even even in a small group or somebody comes up to me on the street and wants to ask a question I'm I I say exactly what I would say on television so uh, because yeah, yeah I mean I think unfortunately there's there is a substrata of people who are out to get you if you are in any sort of prominent position yeah. and it's point? just not worth it. No, so I'm not you know, I'm not going to do it for a variety of reasons. The main reason is because I don't remember any of it. Right. It's really it's honestly it's fifty years ago. Come on. I mean I don't I don't remember it. All right, I'm glad we have Chris on the line because there's two things I want to talk about. One, um, that I think everybody understands that's the Supreme Court justice vacancy now. Stephen Breyer has announced his intention to leave the court. Doesn't have to. Those are appointments for life, which is something I actually want to get into. That's an appointment for life, Chris. Yep. And it, it's become so political. The last thing on earth the judicial system was supposed to be is political because it was supposed to be a check and balance. You know, the legislature, the executive, the judicial, they're supposed to check and balance each other. They're not really supposed to be political. Is And... and, and and they haven't always. Been. I mean, but yeah. like, one thing that I think is worth remembering is that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I think, got ninety-eight yes votes. It's somewhere in the nineties um, when she was initially confirmed. Uh, you would never see that now. There's no one that Joe Biden could pick that I think would probably get, you know, maybe a few Republicans vote for whoever he winds up picking. But if if that person got 60 votes in the Senate, it would be a heck of a lot. We, we since, you know, you have uh, Brett Kavanaugh, who barely skates by. Um, it's it just a, it's, it's a different time, and it wasn't always like this. I mean, I think in politics, you have a tendency to say, like, whatever is the newest thing is the worst thing. But, but actually, Supreme Court justices for a very long time uh, were 
there, yes, there were partisan fights. Everybody remembers Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas. It's not as though these things were always like super pleasant. But I will say there are lots and lots of examples of Republican-appointed and Democratic-appointed judges who were quite liberal or quite conservative who were concern, uh, confirmed by huge majorities yes. in the Senate. And, and that feels like 200 years ago at this point. Hmm. Um, he's been contrasted, Stephen Breyer, with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. People are saying Ruth Bader Ginsburg stayed on too long. If she had quit mm-hmm. earlier, that would have been another liberal voice on the court. Again, the political backdrop of all of this um, was there. There was some pressure on Breyer to leave, right? I mean, I saw oh, people gosh. driving it's buses tons. around saying, get out. Tons really? of pressure. Yes. Yeah, tons of pressure from the uh, from liberals. And I think that you can't have the Breyer retirement conversation without the Ruth Bader Ginsburg situation. So she could have left while Obama was uh, in office and, and uh, would have been able to appoint uh, another liberal. She eventually died in uh, office, and that let Trump very quickly turn – uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, probably the most prominent liberal on the court, into Amy Coney Barrett, you know, a, a conservative, and set up a six to three conservative majority uh, on the court. That this won't change. I'll note. I mean, you know, right. the reason that that was so important and so um, for for the left so damaging was because you took a liberal seat and turned it into a conservative seat. This is uh, a Democratic appointee in Stephen Breyer, who's going to be replaced by a Democratic president, and you know, you're likely to get another Democrat, uh, another. Liberal liberal voice in this, uh, on a uh, court, which is going to keep it at a six to three majority. But remember, the court is going to, uh, they've already heard and they're going to rule on uh, Roe v. Wade uh, in June. There's a gun rights uh, piece that they've already heard that they're going to rule on. So, you know, you're going to, you get back to the whole appointments for life situation. It's six to three. Uh, unless and until another justice retires or dies. And the yeah. three that Trump put on, Gorsuch, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett, are all young. So, I mean, you know, the, the conservative majority is on the younger end. Uh, and that's why I think people focus so much on this stuff and why Breyer was under so much pressure to leave when he did. It's an amazing thing that you see people. I mean, I mean to me, the Supreme Court is sort of the height of public accomplishment. There's only oh, nine yeah. of them, and you get you get there. You're you're a stud. You know you're you're smart. Whether I agree with your politics or not, I, I five tool player. You know, yeah. There's there, no question about that. And to see people see people come out of the weeds and drive a bus that says Briar, get out. You know, you just say to yourself, hey, arrest those people, arrest those people, get out of here. All right, let me that let me get to this. Technically, other... be legal, but I understand your sentiment. <laughs> let me get to this other question here. This is an appointment for life. If you choose for it to be an appointment for life. Similar to the Pope. Rarely do Popes leave before they die, but one of them did recently. It happens. Some people do leave the Supreme Court before they die. Is there any movement, and I would think it would have to be bipartisan, honestly, to not allow, to, to change, not so you have a term, but to not automatically make it an appointment for life? No. Okay. Uh, the only movement that you've seen and this has come after the, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing away and Amy Coney Barrett being appointed. You've seen some on the left call for additional seats to be added to the Supreme Court. So that's rather not than unprecedented. Nine, rather than nine seats, make it twelve seats or make it thirteen mm. seats. That, Didn't Franklin Delano Roosevelt do that? that Didn't FDR not, pack well, yeah, the court? He, he tried to pack the court. Yes, and it backfired right. on him. Okay. Um, 
that's not going to happen. Um, okay. Of all, I think you're right that the Supreme Court has become much more politicized, and Chief Justice John Roberts has, has written and talked about how, much to his chagrin, this has happened. But it remains, along with uh, uh, firefighters and the military, still one of the more revered institutions in this country. Should be. Um, and I don't think people want want okay. anyone messing with it. It's not as revered as it was 20 years ago. Every poll will tell you right. that, but it's still a heck of a lot more revered than most other institutions in this country, and I don't think, I, I, I don't see any way that they add seats or change the term to, to you know, you can serve okay. two terms or 12 years or 15 years. I don't see it. Again, I'm very impressed. If I ever meet a Supreme Court justice, I met Scalia once, and it's, I couldn't be further apart politically, but I, I was really awed. I'm oh, awed. These people by, are, I'm these, awed. I mean, I remember, I remember when Bush nominated John Roberts. I was a younger man. I think I was in my 30s then. I was barely a man. And uh, I read his resume, and I felt about one inch tall. Because you know it's always about me. And, I mean, he, this guy, it's like the, these are some of the most accomplished, impressive people. Uh, it's really remarkable. I mean, uh, John Roberts in particular, it's like, you know, he was like 45 when he was nominated to the Supreme Court as the chief justice. It's just, uh, you know, whether you're a Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, I mean, the vast majority of people who get to this level, even to be considered at this level, they are uh, achievers to the nth degree. One other question on this topic. The Republicans blocked Merrick Garland at one point, I believe, mm -hmm. while Obama was still in office. The Republicans have set up roadblocks to justices for quite some period of time. They scream, you can't have what you want, but we get what we want, and we get it in an hour and a half. Yep. Will Biden get who he nominates? He will because of the timing. So there's still... 200 plus days before the November uh, election, which means that there are 200 plus days that Democrats control the Senate. And because of the rules of the Senate, they simply, they need a simple majority, 50 uh, plus one. They need 51. Kamala Harris can break a tie if it's 50-50. So as long as he picks someone, he said by the end of February, he's going to pick someone. As long as he picks someone, okay. they hold the confirmation hearings and they hold the vote before the November elections, before Democrats could well lose control of the Senate, he will get his pick. Now, the, the caveat I'll put in there, and anyone who watches politics knows this, is that there are two senators, Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin of Arizona and West Virginia, hi, Chessie, who, um, <laughs> have been, uh, who have been less than willing to be on That's board right. Uh, right. with everything Biden says. That, that they could, of course rebel and then he then then he'd have to really consider the pick. But my guess is he's gonna pick someone, he's gonna make sure Mansion and Cinema support that person and that person's gonna go through. I I, I I have a feeling this looks like a win for Joe Biden and he hasn't had too many wins That's the last right. six months and I think That's they're right. going to make sure they execute okay. it so that it stays a win. Chessie just wanted you to know that it's her hello to you. you yeah, know, that's, she's the, that's what she's it is. the best. She's no. the best. I miss her jumping up on me. Uh, Chris, uh, can I ask a question? Is there any truth to the rumors that Sean Payton will get consideration for this? Uh, he Payton. is in the mix, as <laughs> yeah. is Craig Eshrick, former Georgetown coach. <laughs> so I have uh, one other so, question. Yeah. I have one other. The, the Ukraine. I, I know it's not the Ukraine anymore. I grew up it was the it's Ukraine. Like, it's like when you say the Facebook. Now it's, yeah, it's Ukraine. <laughs> is there, I mean, honestly, is there any juice in the United States of America for this? For, like, going to war? No. Over this? What? No. What? That, that's, I mean, I think that's the issue for, 
for Biden is like it, it, last week in his press conference, he effectively, I'm paraphrasing, but he effectively said like, look, if Putin wants to go in there, like he's going to go in there. I mean, he's got, he's massing troops there. There is zero appetite uh, from the American public to send troops to, uh, to either Ukraine or the Ukraine in any large numbers. Okay. Um, you know, and I, I think what's difficult here is that, you know, Biden understands that. I mean, remember, this is the president who somewhat disastrously in terms of the, the, the evacuation, but he's the one who pulled American troops out of Afghanistan. I mean, that is a recognition that, that you know, America does not want to be in what was called there a forever war. And in this case, you know, I don't know that there's any political appetite among the American public to send large-scale numbers of troops to protect Ukraine. Uh, and so I think Biden was almost too honest in that press conference last week. He, he effectively said, like, look, if, if, if Putin wants to go in there, he's going to go in there. You know, uh, that's just the reality. Um, he's right. Uh, and I think that, you know, the issue is that there's just Biden understands that the American public just does not want more American soldiers in foreign lands fighting wars or fighting battles that they don't feel like there's a win, a way to win, or a larger goal there. So, and I think Putin knows that too, which is why I think he's been continuing to put troops in, continuing to make it look like, you know, he's going in there. Okay. Thank you, Chris. It's always good to hear from you. Always, always a pleasure. Uh, I keep waiting for the call to talk about the Georgetown basketball season. We're winless in the Big East, but I guess I, I don't know. Sean maybe just got like misplaced the number or something. I will. I, just... I will tell you this, and I'll just keep you on for a little because I talk to Kelleher, another Georgetown grad, oh, yeah. all the time. Great human. It's a disaster. You have become DePaul. Yeah. Um. Every. You know what? There's going to have to be a change there, or a recognition that Georgetown is out of the basketball business. I mean, right. This past week, now, I I, I think you know this, but I hate UConn with the the White House passion of a thousand sons. It's not Syracuse, but it's bad. I mean, I grew up there. I hate Jim Calhoun. I hate UConn. So we, Georgetown plays uh, UConn uh, in Connecticut this past week, and we're down 35 points in the second half. I mean, the the issue is, it's not like we're losing close games. It's non-competitive. Um, and this was a year that that we were supposed to get recruits. I just don't know what to do because do you fire Patrick Ewing, the face of Georgetown basketball? I mean, I, I don't. It's no one cares about Georgetown. I get it. We're 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 losing reader viewers by the instant. I'm just it is depressing to me because I don't have any. Who the hell else am I going to root for? I only went to one school. I don't have right. any other degrees. I can't be like all the smart people. Like oh, when I went to Duke Law School, I know I don't have any of that. I just have a basic undergraduate degree from Georgetown, and so this is the only team I can root for. And I'm and unfortunately, I'm infecting the younger generations. My stupid kids root for Georgetown, and they have to sit through these games too. It's it's. Well. Well, bad parenting by me. For five dollars, I can get you an advanced degree at Binghamton, and you can root for Binghamton. We're eight that and does, nine that overall. Does interest me. Yeah, that so, does, right. I'm not going to lie. Thank you, Chris. Chris, Thank Elizabeth, you. boys and girls. Have a good weekend, guys. Yes, we will uh, come back. Jason Lock and Fora. When we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Indochino read. Whether it's finding a signature color, wearing a more flattering cut, or getting a new statement piece. The right detail can take your wardrobe up a notch. This year, let Indochino take care of your 2022 style edit. 
You can customize everything from suits and shirts to chinos, and I love this, bomber jackets. At prices more affordable than you might expect. Now, Nigel, you've bought some suits. I have. You've not yet bought a bomber jacket, but tell the people about the suits. The suits are fantastic. They fit me like a glove because they're, they're measured to my, they're tailored to my measurements. Rope and a yardstick. Yeah, rope and a yardstick. You can do it out you want. You might want to go in and get them, you know, measured by a professional tailor. You can do that. Too. Yes. Uh, but once you get it, it takes just a couple of weeks to get the suit. It's brilliant. You can design it any way you like. Of course, I've got the Union Jack interior. And yeah, and it's fantastic. What's your signature color? Uh, lavender. Darkness. <laughs> Darkness. Yes. Indochino offers completely custom fitted suits, shirts, casual wear, and more at surprisingly affordable prices. Get a wardrobe personalized to your style and taste without spending a fortune. Every piece, as Nigel said, is made to your exact measurements and you can customize every detail. You can choose everything about your suit, including the fabric, the label, the label, the lapel. You can put a label in too. The monogram statement linings. You can just stick a label that belongs to and put your name in there. That'd you be a good liner. You can create a suit that fits you and your style perfectly. The best part is that Indochino suits start from just $429 and their shirts from $79 with all customizations included. So give yourself a style edit. I like that phrase. That sets the tone for the rest of the year with Indochino. Get $50 off any purchase of $399 or more by using the promo code TonyK at Indochino.com. That's $50 off a purchase of $399 or more at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. Indochino.com. The promo code is TonyK, and don't be an idiot. Use the code. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. It's spinning from all the forks in the road and I'm swimming And all the hot and the cold that you pour out should be worn out but You like new music? This is sent to us by Grant McGuire who says here's the newest song by my daughter-in-law Alyssa Dawson in Phoenix, Arizona who plays under the stage name River Iris It's called Consider Me Confused It'll be released tomorrow or today, today. January 28th today That's right, yes how good is come on. <laughs> How good is she? Wow. Consider Me Confused by River Iris. Plays in Jason Lock and Four of CBS Sports and his own fabulous radio show. Lots to talk about, I guess. And not necessarily who's gonna win the games. Let's start with like one of the easy talkers. Nathaniel Hackett, offensive coordinator at Green Bay for the last three years, goes to Denver. Denver's got running backs, Denver's got wide receivers. Denver's got a defense. Yeah. As I say, got my top hat, got my new shoes. All I need uh -huh. now is the girl. They don't have the girl. They don't have the quarterback. No. Aaron Rodgers can be the quarterback there. Is that what you see happening? Bing bong. Uh, yeah. I think it's a, you know, I think it's going to be part of the sales pitch, part of the recruitment. Um, look, if you're the Green Bay Packers and this is your reality, we're way over the cap. Our team has gotten old. Our quarterback put us in the jackpot by, you know, by the, the restructuring of his deal we agreed to a year ago. Those bills are coming due. You know, is David Bakhtiari still the best left tackle in football? What, what is his injury status moving forward? What can we afford to pay him? All those dudes we bought on defense three years ago, those contracts are all structured to um, – work for the team for the first three years, then the guaranteed money's paid. Then you look at what the remainder of those deals are. And in many cases, that's a restructure or we're moving on. Uh, and then, you know, Devonte Adams is up. So if they have to move him, if that really becomes the only feasible plan, because we, we can't really put a retooling 
in front of him that he's going to buy into. And he's already right. said, I ain't doing a rebuild. Right. And trading him out of the conference would certainly be most ideal. And he likes the Rocky Mountain region. And you're right. Denver has a lot of other things in place. Now, they're in a, they're in a tough division, obviously. Yes, you got they my are. In your division. And the yes. AFC is where all the young studs are. But I got news for you, Tony. You're going to have to beat them in February anyway to get what he wants, which is a Super Bowl. You know, another divisional round appearance, another championship game doesn't really do much for his resume. He's still a one-ring guy. If he wants to get into that next stratosphere, uh, just ask Peyton Manning. It takes two. And so the idea that, oh, well, he wouldn't want to play those guys. Well, I mean, he's going to have to beat them. Now, if you're in the NFC, you're right. You don't have to get one of them until the Super Bowl if you get there. But I don't know that that's going to particularly hold him back. And I don't know that Aaron Rodgers thinks there's anybody on the planet better at playing football when things go right around him than Aaron Rodgers, even though he clearly wasn't uh, the other night at Lambeau. I didn't get a chance to say this yesterday on television because sometimes the back and forth goes a little bit too quick. Aaron Rodgers, I believe, is the greatest quarterback in history who this late in his career actually has something to prove. His playoffs lately have been a disaster. A disaster, don't you think? Do you agree with my statement there? You know, well, yeah, I mean, he's 2-4 and four in his last six playoff games. He's 11-10 and 10 in his career. Tom Brady has as many NFC playoff victories as Aaron Rodgers, which is stunning and staggering because he's spent five minutes in the NFC. But that's, right. that's the reality with all the Super Bowl wins. Um, you know, putting up 10 points. Uh, this was a team that at one point had never lost at Lambeau. They're in the playoffs. They're, they're now, I think, 7-7 seven and seven in their last 14. And you can't put quarterback wins, you know, the win losses all on the quarterback. And is that the, the best metric to analyze quarterback play? No. But when it comes to the postseason and you're measured by Super Bowls, you better have a pretty good playoff winning percentage because that's what it takes to get to Super Bowls to be able to win Super Bowls. Yes. And the difference between his regular season winning percentage and his playoff winning percentage is staggering. Oh, let me just for if anybody wants the hard numbers, the numbers that are an indictment, it goes like this because Aaron Rodgers thinks of himself and he should in the league with Tom Brady. Oh, he should. He's a great quarterback. He's got a bunch of MVPs. He doesn't have the playoffs. His record in the playoffs is 11 and 10. Brady's yeah. record in the playoffs is 35 and 12. Yeah. Okay, so you're not in the same league. You're not. I mean, nobody's in a league with Brady, but it's 35 no. and 12. Let me move to somebody I'd never heard of until yesterday. Matt Eberflus. <laughs> never heard of him. Defensive yeah. coordinator on the Indianapolis Colts, now the head coach of the Chicago Bears. My question is sort of simple. The Chicago yeah. Bears... Biggest project is going to have to be Justin Fields. He's on the yeah. offensive side. Is Matt yeah. Eberflus, does that make sense to you as a choice? I understand why it happened because I, I understand sort of the backroom machinations of how these things are done and who the power brokers are and which agents curry the most favors favor with, most, with which organizations and who has ties where. So I, 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 my inside football purview – I get it. I still, though, find it a little odd in that you're right. At some point, you got it. Like they they have some pieces on defense, and that there were weeks where that defense, even getting nothing from the offense, was pretty menacing and held them in games. But you haven't had a big boy offense in forever. Yeah, forever. You haven't had a franchise quarterback in forever. 
And Matt Eberflus is not somebody who's going to have the Rolodex of Jim Caldwell. Like, he's just not. This is his first time putting a staff together. He doesn't have the same ties on the offensive side of the ball as some other candidates would. They'll certainly have his agent helping him out, and they'll be trying to put the best offensive staff together they can. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of competition for these jobs right now, and Justin Fields is a bit of an unknown quantity. Matt Eberflus is a bit of an unknown quantity. And the Chicago Bears, again, haven't been – a robust offensive football team in forever. So I don't know that that job among all these offensive coordinator jobs is, is one that guys are going to be clawing all over themselves to get. It doesn't mean he won't find somebody that, you know, very qualified to take it. And it doesn't mean that it won't work, but I'll be fascinated to see what his offensive staff looks like. And I just I mean, Bill Polian was, you know, the, the running point on this thing. That's right. I have a hard time thinking Bill Polian at the end of the day thought that Matt Eberflus was heads and tails a better football coach than Jim Caldwell, who he knows personally, who won big games for him, who he entrusted his franchise to in Indianapolis. I have a hard time thinking that merit, just straight up, you know, meritocracy, that Eberflus is better at this stage for that team than Jim Caldwell. But Eberflus got the job. And, you know, there's some people out there who would say maybe Bill Poling got pushed to the side. At the end, I don't know. But that looked like a spot where, um, you know, Jim Caldwell might really be able to help that, that young quarterback. All right, we move on uh, to old quarterbacks. Do you think Brady is done? Or do you think yes. he might just be done at Tampa Bay and might surface somewhere else? No, I, I think Tom Brady is um, going through a process of reckoning. Um, I think at some point, probably during the season, he was grieving a little bit for the end because he, he knew it was the end. He wasn't expressing to people it was the end. I think the, the way the season went and the battle, the fight that they showed, the near comeback they pulled off, the fact he's not scheduled to go under the knife, he's not going to have to spend weeks rehabbing this thing or that thing or recruiting guys to try to come here before free agency. I, I think he's at peace with it. Um, I think you can see that if you kind of parsed his words a little bit and what he did say after that game um, and the few things he's put on the social media afterwards, I think he had given uh, his wife and family the wink um, weeks ago. And, and as we talked about this last week, as I reported over the weekend, there were people very close to him and there were guys in that locker room who had watched him over the last few weeks and, their assessment was this is the last dance without him pronouncing it as the last dance. His body language, the things he would say, the things that were left unsaid, people who were in tune to him were saying, look, don't get caught up in what happens in this game. Don't get caught up in, you know, oh, well, if they beat this team and that team, then he's got this many wins. And Like, we agree. He hasn't expressed it to us outwardly. But we think this is it also, and we think we'll get final closure from him on that topic sooner rather than later. Yeah, and if you go out on that where you're down 27-3 and you bring your yeah. team back to yeah. expect to go into overtime and have a chance to win the game, Tom Brady did his job. The narrative yes. of Tom Brady remains because he did his job. Um, other names, Harbaugh, Bienemy, Brian Flores, any of them going to end up being head coaches in the NFL next season? There's a very good chance that they're not, Tony. And you could also yeah. add Doug Peterson and Dan Quinn to that list, which if you go back to when, and it feels like forever to me, as someone who 
covers this on a minute-to-minute basis. If you go back to the end of the season and when we're seeing how many openings we think there are going to be, if you had told me, you know, at Christmas that, hey, dude, a third of the league is going to open up and none of those guys are going to get a job, I would have said, You're, there's no way, like, that's impossible. Like, there's no way that right. there's not going to be a match somewhere. But right now, they're, they're all on the outside looking in. Flores still has some opportunities. I, I'm not sure they're going to break the way he would want them to. Um, and some opportunities that maybe three weeks ago didn't look as great to him, like Houston might all of a sudden start looking really good. But, but certainly of that group, not many are, are going to end up, um, at least based on what I know at this point, um, running an in, in NFL team in 2022. Okay. Plug your radio show for us. Uh, you can listen to more of this rambling from 2 to 6 <laughs> Eastern every single business day or weekday, I guess you could also term it. Because um, in this day and age, I guess people probably do a lot of business on Saturday, but I, I don't really know. Anywho, Inside Too Access, 105.7 The Fan. You can listen to us on the Odyssey app. You can stream us at www.1057thefan. And, and last week in Gamblestone, true story, we're sitting there at the Green Turtle. Four different people came up and said, hey, I'm here because I heard you plug your show on Tony's court. On Tony oh, court that's great. That's yeah, great. So it, it paid off. And I thought that's it great. Would. That's great. That makes me happy. All right. We'll talk yeah, to you I, next I, week. I Thanks, Jason. That. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Jason Locke and Fora, boys and girls. Uh, we will come back with James Carville and Jeff Ma, we think, we hope. Yes, I've heard from James, so it, it's looking good. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This, this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Framebridge ad. Framebridge makes it easier and more affordable than ever to frame your favorite things without ever leaving the house. Add a gallery wall, as Michael has done, to your home office, or send the perfect gift, from art prints and diplomas to the photos sitting on your phone, to the bathing caps that are sent to us by Brook 40. <laughs> Olympic can, bathing caps. Yeah, you can Framebridge just about anything. Just go to framebridge.com, upload your photo, or they'll send you packaging to safely mail in your physical pieces. Preview your item online in dozens of frame styles and gallery wall layouts. Choose your favorite or get free recommendations from their talented designers. The experts at FrameBridge will custom frame your item and deliver your finished piece directly to your door ready to hang. Instead of the hundreds you'd pay at a framing store, their prices start at $39 and all the shipping is free. Plus, listeners to this high-quality podcast will get 15% off their first order at FrameBridge.com when they use the code TONYK. Order online at FrameBridge.com or stop by a FrameBridge store to work with a designer in person if you're in New York, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Philadelphia, Boston, or Chicago. Get started today. Frame your photos or send someone the perfect gift. You've done this. Yes. We've done this. And if you want to know what's, a, what's a great conversation starter as you uh, are settling in after a new move is look up uh, to the to the gallery wall just off the uh, family room and say to your wife, I think the lower box of the gallery wall is just a little bit higher than the left. See how that one goes. I'll bet that goes great. If you <laughs> but want of course, to the frames are different sizes. Yeah. Go to FrameBridge.com. Use the promo code Tony K to save an additional 15% off your first order. FrameBridge.com. Promo code Tony K. One more time for people who are so stupid that they haven't heard it the first three times. FrameBridge.com. Promo code Tony K. And use the code, people. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the new single from Norwegian Soft Kitten, sent to us by Glenn Burgotz, or Burgetz and Alan Green, who are 
Norwegian Soft Kitten. It's one of the great band names. Norwegian Soft Kitten has just released our second album on Loan from the Universe. And this is a song called Never. Um, on a spot, we were able to springboard the airing of your podcast from our first album into picking up radio airplay in the U.S., Canada, and England. We also landed the Queen Kitty, the British woman who is our claimed biggest fan. On a sports note, we also don't believe anything Novak Djokovic says, but then we don't believe anything anyone says except Tony. <laughs> this is never for James Carver. We have a note about you, James. James, by the way, last week, three and one. James with a big week. Big week. This is from George Barnes, James. says, I'm not related. I'm not yet related to a woman by marriage, but my girlfriend thinks your show stinks. I listen to you and the crew mostly in the mornings here on the West Coast, much to her chagrin. That all changed after Carville's appearance on January 21st. When he answered your question about breakfast, she chuckled so hard she almost spit out our coffee. Knowing she'd deny it, I said nothing and decided to wait. Later that night, I was lying on the couch when she whispered, are you asleep? Quoting James, I laughed and said, yeah, what do you think people do this time of day? She cackled. Confirmation, Holmes, we got her. Please welcome Allison to the connective tissue. So you were three and one. You had a very good week. There are only two games this week. The point spreads are Cincinnati plus seven with Joe Burrow, your LSU boy, and San Francisco plus three and a half, which is higher than I thought it would be against the Rams. What do you got? Who do you like? Both, Both dogs? Okay. Yep. And uh, I'll throw in, which is the over-under is 54 and a half in the Cincinnati game. Okay. Then I'll take the over. Okay. And then the Rams, 49ers, I think it's 46 and a half. Mm-hmm. I'll take the under. Now, I'll tell you my great fear is that Cincinnati wins and the Rams win because the Aaron Donald and Von Miller will kill Joe Burrow. They'll kill Burrow. Joe Burrow was sacked nine times, and I threw for like 400 yards. That's right. But if Cincinnati had an offensive line that was the equivalent of a 270 hitter, he, he, I don't know how many yards he'd have. So they have a terrible I mean, offensive line. After. No, here's huh? the thing to consider. They won't – Donald and Miller won't sack – Burrow nine times, because after the second one, he'll be out of the game. He ain't going to pick it up. That, that's yeah. right. That's right. Right, right. But that, 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 look, I got, you know, I got more years to watch Joe Burrow, and I got years left. But I want, to, I want that guy around. I think he's going to be an all-time great. But, man, these two guys, I mean, Aaron Dollard, I wouldn't want to be anywhere around that dude. Why are you picking well, both dogs? Why are you picking both dogs? Huh? Why are you picking both, both underdogs? Because it, it, seven points is a lot of points in an NFL game in, in mm -hmm. these playoffs. It, mm -hmm. They all come. To, they seem to me to be clustering around a pretty pretty slim margin. And you know, San Francisco's got uh, they got some tools. I mean, I, their quarterback is not as good as maybe some of the other ones, but they're getting three and a half points. I mean, that's a think of what you could do with three and a half points last week. A lot. They've beaten them six times in a row. Kyle Shanahan has beaten Sean McVay with that team six times in a row. To me, if you're going to take the three and a half there, you probably think they're going to win, right? You don't think it, don't you probably think San Francisco's going to win it outright? You know, if you gave me good, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet one to, you know, even money that they win it outright. Okay. But I'd take okay. the money line at like dollar twenty-five, maybe. Yeah, yeah. All you right. Know, well, good luck. But. but 
good. Okay. All, All right. right. Thank you, James. You bet. These are brief appearances. <laughs> well, brilliant. Short but sweet. Yeah. Well, brilliant. I want to see if Jeff Ma agrees with him on that. <laughs> is Jeff with us? Is Jeff on the line? I think Sean is efforting that as we speak. Okay. Well, that would be important. Yes. But, but Jeff has had a fantastic... It's nice to see Carville finish up strong. Now, do, you think, one. do you think Jeff will bark as he takes the dogs? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I thought he was speaking to Chessie. Yeah, it's really <laughs> barking. I, I had to sort of concentrate on that and make sure I knew what he was doing. But he ta- he's taken... Again, he's taken the over in the Cincinnati game. Over 54, and he's taking the under in the San Francisco game, under 46 and a half. Now, I don't know if those are the actual numbers. Jeff might know those numbers. No, I think I looked them up. Uh, yeah, 54 and a half and 45. 54 and a half? Yeah. Well, he said 54. We have to give him 54. Yeah, we'll give him He 54. could have said 30, and I would have given it to him. <laughs> yeah. And, really and then know. the other one's 45 and a half is what I've got. No, he's got 46 and a half, and he's taking the under. Well, then that's the call. So he's given himself a point. <laughs> he's given himself the, the good side on both of those. Yeah, sure. Where's Jeff Moss? Is he here? I believe Jeff is here now. Are you here? I'm here. All right. Jeff, of course, is a professional at this. Not like James. <laughs> Jeff probably won't bark like James, and Jeff won't make up a line like James. But Jeff, last week, Jeff was 3-3. Three and three. He had one of the totals right and one of the totals wrong and two of the games right and two of the games wrong. But one of the things he said was that he believed that Kansas City and Buffalo was a coin flip situation. I believe it was a two-point game. You had Kansas City. It was It actually it was a coin flip, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I made the joke that I would call it a literal coin flip, but that would mean I wouldn't know the meaning of the word literal. Right. But it turned out it, it actually was a literal coin flip. So <laughs> yes. um, I guess I did know the meaning of the word literal. Um, it, it, you know, obviously, like, uh, game came. It, it was an interesting weekend. Uh, Tony, if I were to ask you and go back in time, if there was one team that you could have bet on, not necessarily knowing the outcome, but knowing the way the game would be played, uh, what team would that have been? Well, I would have gotten off Tennessee. I would have gotten off Tennessee, and it would probably would have been Cincinnati because Ryan Tannehill was so terrible. You probably have another one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the numbers would show you that, that Tennessee probably was the right side in that game. Yeah. I mean, you know, Tannehill yeah. was bad, but yeah. you know, they, they kind of outplayed Cincinnati for most of that game. I mean, really, it's the Rams. The numbers in that game would have had the Rams winning that game um, the way that was played by something like 17. Obviously, the four turnovers and the way that that game played gave Tampa every chance to get back in that game. But the Rams really, really did dominate that game. Um, you know, so, so if you could go back in time, that would probably have been the game. I mean, the, the Niners game was an interesting one because when are you ever going to be plus 10 in special teams points and still only win by a field goal, right? So... You know, I, I think Green Bay, that was probably a toss-up um, from the point spread perspective. But I do think the Rams were the game that, if you go back in time, would have probably covered that game like seven, eight, nine, ten, ten percent, you know, out of ten times. Well, you have the chance on them with San Francisco, Jeff, a team that's beaten them six straight. Kyle Shanahan has owned Sean McVay. It's a Nick Saban situation. They work together in Washington, and he's owned him lately, six out of six, including at L.A. just a couple of weeks ago. That game is three and a half. I thought that would be two and a half. I didn't think it would be three and a half. That seems to me a lot of people are going to go for San Francisco. What are you going to do? Yeah, that's an interesting game, and I think you bring up a lot of good points, which is this sort of recent history. Now, before this six-game run, 
has happened. Uh, McVay was actually three and one against yes. Shanahan. So you have to kind of think a little bit about, you know, what these sort of arbitrary endpoints or these recent trends. Um, I think there are a few things happening here. Why this line? And I, I think you're right, Tony. It should be closer to two and a half. I mean, because these teams are roughly even. Um, San Francisco is in a very, very tough spot, meaning that I think this would be their sixth straight uh, road game to win that's never happened before. I mean, obviously, no teams have ever been in a situation to win six straight road games. Um, so I think that there's that. Um, there's a lot of anti-Jimmy G bias right now. Like, everyone has watched him play and is convinced that he's not a good quarterback. Now, the reality is he's turnover prone, just like Stanford, uh, just like Stafford is. I mean, both these guys could, could throw a a game-changing interception. Um, but Jimmy G throws the ball well to the inside. He does not throw the ball well to the outside. The Rams are pretty weak on the inside. The line, their linebackers and their safeties, where they're literally pulling guys off the street to play safety for them. Um, yes, you know, Eric Weddle. This, this, yes. this, is, this is a situation where, again, like people talk about styles making fights. The Niners' style is conducive to, to beating or at least staying close with the Rams. Um, I actually like the Niners plus the three and a half here. I mean, again, and and the other thing too here is like, when you think about home field, we often talk about what makes home field. A lot of people think it's crowd noise and whatnot. A lot of times it's just the inconvenience of travel, the inconvenience of what happens and the, the lack of familiarity with playing somewhere. And obviously there's a lot of familiarity with playing here. They just played here recently. Um, I, I don't think home field's going to be very big here. So with all those things, I'm going to take the Niners plus the three and a half. Okay. And on the other side, you've got seven points, which is really a lot in a conference championship game. But a team that in Cincinnati that last year had a losing record going up against uh, a dynasty in the making, maybe Kansas City, certainly uh fourth straight time in a conference championship and could be third straight time in a Super Bowl. Will you take the seven? Yeah, so this is an interesting number because I think most analytics and, and smart betters will tell you this number is about right or should be actually close to six and a half potentially. Um, Kansas City, they, there's always this joke. They, they save the good plays for the playoffs. Um, but there are a few things that are happening here where Kansas City's offense is operating at a much higher level than certainly it was at the beginning of the year. And even through the bulk of the regular season. Um, one, we think Tyreek Hill is, is finally healthy. Um, it was pretty evident from that long touchdown he had where he flashed up the deuces as he went in the end zone when he was still, what, at 15 yards away and yeah, players were still yeah. in front of him. Um, there is uh, the plays they run to Kelsey, which seem very different than the ones they ran in the regular season. And the final thing, and the most important thing, is, is Mahomes is running. I think they must tell Mahomes not to run during the regular season to stay in the pocket and not get hurt. But, you know, clearly he, you know, he, he led um, all rushers last week, including running backs, wide receivers. He was the leading rusher last week across all those games. And when he's running, this is a devastating offense. And so I I do think they're going to outplay what their ratings have been for the year. And, And I think Kansas city minus the seven is the play here. Yeah, they've won. I think, I think they're eleven and one in their last twelve. Eight of them have been at home. They're at home. Cincinnati can't help but think, boy, this is further than we thought we would get. And I, I agree with you completely about the running. It, he does not run like Lamar Jackson. He does not. He avoids contact scrupulously. He slides 
one full stride before anybody else slides, and he gets out of bounds, and he holds the ball outside, and he just, he's the best, Jeff. He's the best, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, he's essentially like, you know, the biggest comp for, for Mahomes is Aaron Rodgers, right? But he's just better at everything than he's, Aaron, a little bit better than everything that Aaron Rodgers is. You know, he's a better runner. He can throw better on the, on the you know, on the move. I mean, I, I, with, with Mahomes, I mean, and honestly, like the Mahomes and Allen game, it just looked like they were playing a different sport than, you know, Jimmy G and Stafford are. Yeah. Even. And so, Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. No, I, I mean, I, I think he's as long as he stays healthy, he's he's going to go down as you know one of us, not the best. I think just the the skill set and the way he plays, it's, we've, we've just never seen it before. Watching him play is one of the most entertaining things. Totally agree. Thank you, Jeff. Good luck. We'll talk to hey, you one more before the Super Bowl. Go ahead. Like on this yeah. Carville thing. Yes, I, I think I'm going to take the Niners on the under, also, especially if you can give me Carvel's number of 46 and a half. But yes, maybe settle at a 46. I, I, I think that um, these two teams, the familiarity is going to lead to a low-scoring game, so I would take the under there. You got it. I will talk to you before the Super Bowl. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, thanks, Tony. Jeff Ma, boys and girls, we will take a break. Email and jingle when we return. I am Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony's mail oh, it's Gary. <laughs> Gary and Chris on the same day. Thank you, Gary. Uh, do you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in. You've got bagels today. Yeah, bagels. Love them. That'll just about do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, been 40 days since I don't know when. I just saw her with my best friend. Do you know what I mean? Do you know? Know what I mean? I just saw her yesterday. I just saw her. I asked her to stay. Do you know what I mean? Lord, do you know what I mean? Lee Michaels, his only hit. Fantastic song. Do you know what I mean? Thanks to our guests today, Chris Saliza, Jason Lockenfora, Jeff Car- James Carville, Jeff Ma, the host of Bet the Process. Thanks to today's sponsors, Framebridge and Indochino. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple. Please leave us a review. A quick thank you, Dad. Uh, thanks for returning the grapefruits. They were a gift, but uh, thanks. The last time I saw those grapefruits, you were juggling them in the kitchen. <laughs> okay, I brought them over to enjoy one. Didn't have time with the kids. And I, I thought, thought they were you, blood oranges. lover of grapefruit juice, would juice them for me. I thought they were blood oranges. But no, now I'll take them home. <laughs> From David Epstein in New York, New York. What happens when the woman to whom you're related to by marriage is an interior designer? Count them. 34 electrical outlets. Ding, ding, ding. That's the winner in the kitchen. Yeah. Not counting the fridge, which I presume must be plugged into something somewhere. In a New York City apartment, no less. Outlet strips, baby. (laughs) From Kristen LeBlanc. Uh, From a man named Kristen in Nova Scotia, Canada. As much as it's entertaining to hear about everyone's kitchen outlets, I figured I'd weigh in. I got eight, and two of them don't work, and I always have to unplug something to use a different kitchen appliance. That's the joy of living in a house built in the 70s by two 17-year-old handymen, so everyone just cool out, cool out. Yes, the basement has flooded three times in the last 15 years. Oh, the joys of a house built in the 70s by a couple of kids. P.P.S. I would like to throw my name in the ring to be the official Canadian lobster fisherman of the Tony Kornheiser Show. If you can send us lobster, you've got that on. Absolutely. Uh, From David Nooner. 
in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm a loyal little in St. Louis. I never felt compelled to write the show until today when your music selections last week were from Pat McGee and his band. I went to college at the University of Richmond, which is where I first heard of Pat McGee as he is local to the area. I've always enjoyed his music, but it had drifted off my playlist since I graduated from college and moved back home to start my career in a family. Now, all these years later, hearing his music again brings back fond memories of the four years I spent in Richmond. I'm currently going through Amazon Music to re-engage with his songs. Thank you for your dedication to playing independent music and giving this soon-to-be 40-year-old father of three some wonderful nostalgia. By the way, it'd be a great 10 and a half months early 40th birthday present to have you read this email on the air. Thank you and a hearty cheese read you all. Speaking of new music, I got a, a, a note and um, a story sent to me by Chuck Todd yesterday about the absence of new music, about how old music dominates music, about how 90% of music sold and music produced is old music by old people. And Chuck, being a musician, was concerned about this. And we talked about the fact that this podcast gives new musicians yes. a chance. Now, not every new musician is going to want to be on this podcast. There are types of music that I don't particularly care about. But the stuff that we play is really, really good. And to me, and what I said to Chuck was, and I think I might be more optimistic than Chuck about this. I said, talent will out. Yes. Talent will rise. You got talent. You're going to be okay. There are types of music where I won't recognize your talent, but somebody else will. Someone who's involved in that niche sure. is going to recognize your talent. I won't, but we'll keep doing it. From Ryan Strong in Columbus, Ohio, where last night, I believe, the United States soccer team, national team, beat El Salvador I think because one, it was so cold. Right, one nil, right? I don't know what it was. I don't care. <laughs> As a loyal little, I listened to your show with the hope of my first David Aldridge moment. I finally got to experience mine on your new True Bill live read. Matty B., I know that guy. <laughs> P.S. Big fan of Mike Todd. Not that Mike Todd. Patrick Rodriguez in Frederick, Maryland. I want to give a huge shout out to Bethesda Bagels. They're the best. You walk into the store, which I share for your benefit because we all know you won't, and they're making the bagels right in front of you. What a concept. My one bone to pick with them is if they haven't if you if they haven't given you a white fish salad bagel sandwich, they're holding out with lettuce, tomato, and thinly sliced red onions on an everything bagel. It's among the most best foods on the planet. Whenever I bring a dozen Bethesda bagels home, and they usually overstuff the bag with 13 or 14, I'm a hero to my family for as long as they last, which alas is never very long. This guy ought to be doing the read. Yeah, that he's is a big fantastic. He's a big fan. Patrick Rodriguez, that's fantastic. Uh, from Pete Smith. Professor of Chemistry and Chair of the Department of Biochemistry and Chemistry at Westminster College in Pennsylvania. Speaking of Applebee's, early in the pandemic, maybe late March 2020, I was driving with my then nine-year-old daughter. When we passed an Applebee's, she saw all of the cars in the parking lot, and she exclaimed, people are risking their lives for Applebee's? <laughs> Every time I see the new commercial, I say that quote, and it makes me laugh. <laughs> we have three outlets in the kitchen. Our house was built in the 1880s, before outlets. Before outlets. I'm from Rich Ottinger of the Albany Curling Club in Albany, New York. Don't forget to call me with your curling questions during the Olympics. I'm at 411. Curling talk probably holds a few more viewers or listeners than hockey talk, right? It might. It's conceivable. Sure. It's conceivable. Just let me get to one more that just came in that I need to read from David Lombardo in Saratoga Springs. That's in upstate New York. And he's the host of the Capitol Press Room. It appears Binghamton University and school president Harvey Stenger are out of step with you on this one. As a spokesman for the Bearcats, wouldn't comment when asked specifically about wanting the flagship distinction being promised to Buffalo and the hated Stony Brook Seawolves. It's not clear whether Governor Kathy Hockel, H-O-C-H-U-L Hockel? Yeah, not Hockley, Hockel. Yeah, Ed Hockley, he's a ref. Yeah. 
He's got guns. guns. Yes. It's not clear whether Governor Kathy Hockle's primary or general election opponents this year are willing to go to bat for Binghamton. But maybe they would if you started cutting them some PTI-sized checks. <laughs> Below is the full statement from the Binghamton spokesman. Try not to pull your remaining hair out while reading it, and I will read it. Binghamton is proud of its reputation and its accomplishments. We also recognize the significant contributions of all the SUNY centers. While we understand the desire to name a flagship, we will continue to provide a a quality higher education experience and maintain our premier reputation regardless of what transpires with this discussion. I'm adding that emphasis. We look forward to working with the governor <laughs> and all of the SUNY campuses to strengthen the entire SUNY, that State University of New York system, and maintain its reputation as one of the country's largest and finer education systems. That's fine as far as it goes. What I would have done is then said, now burn those schools to the ground. <laughs> we're better, we're smarter, we're more distinguished, we're higher rated. We got everything, okay? We got most catches, most yardage, most touchdowns. We got the triple crown. We're Cooper Cup. You're not. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, do wear white. You know, they all get involved, and they all got their gear already, and so they're going to be all colored up in, uh, in the maroon and black and yellow. It's spinning from all the forks in the road and I'm swimming and all the hot and the cold that you pour out should be worn out but I want you more than ever before now your attention yeah it hits me in waves this tension the push and pull of the wake back and forth yeah tell them what yeah but still I find myself walking through that door yeah consider me confused consider me
There I go. 